I think I've brought these in before. Apologies for uh, reusing a prop. <clears throat> there are folks that keep up with that. Where, where does Christmas start? Where does, where does Christmas begin for you? I, I, I'm, I'm super clear that in my growing up years, Christmas started at the, at the home and, uh, and property of Robert and Anita Wiggins. And it still does for my parents back in Statesboro. I, I, we, I talked to them on the phone the other day, and they were, uh, they were both giddy with delight. They were talking on the hands-free device they had just left from Robert and Anita, Anita Wiggins' house, where they had purchased probably the 40th Christmas tree that they had gotten from uh, from from their house, they 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 used to sell. They still do. They used to sell the uh, the little pine trees that they would actually shape up, you know, and 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 you would go out there and you'd cut them down. I don't know how many of y'all still cut down a tree. And then and then at some point in my high school years, the Wiggins would uh they they got a little fancy and they would have a truck come down and they would bring fir trees from North Carolina that you didn't have to cut, but they were maybe a little prettier, a little fancier, a little highbrow. We got to be highbrow Hagens around that time. Uh, and, and maybe that's how it starts for some of you. For, uh, for the Bon Air Hagens, Christmas starts with a trip <clears throat> to the attic, right? Anybody resemble that? Yeah. And so, and so, and so you, bring down, you bring down the tubs. Uh, in fact, my, my task is I, I bring down the tubs and then, uh, and then finer, more delicate hands uh, take things out and assemble them. Uh, this, this, this tub started out as the pantry items. Uh, that was definitely Christmas items. And, and, and now that Christmas is up in our house, we've got a few things left over, like, uh, like we've got a, a, a stocking in case um, somebody were to come at the last minute and we didn't want to leave them out. We've got nutcrackers and that. I don't know. It's got batteries. So I don't know what that does. Where does Christmas begin for you? The thing we can all, I think, get around, the truth that we can all agree with is that Christmas starts earlier than that morning, right? The season of Christmas, the work of Christmas, the, uh, the effort of Christmas, there, there, there are, would you say, a few things that have to happen before the morning arrives? Anybody? Anybody? There, there are a few things that have to happen before the morning arrives of Christmas. And so whether, whether it be at the Wiggins house or upstairs in the attic, where does it begin? Where does it begin? We can all agree that it definitely begins before the morning of. And, and, and where does it begin in the scriptures? None of us actually think that it starts in, 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 the, in the gospels, right? It starts way before that. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but, I, but, but I'd like to just rehearse some of it again for all of us to, to, to get a sense of, of, of this larger picture. It begins... Really, as ancient as you can go back, it begins with a promise that God made. Genesis chapter 12 says that God promises to Abram that if you will go, if you will go, I'll make you the father of a nation. 
so countless that, 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 that no one could ever keep up with their numbers. If you will go, I'll make that, I'll, I'll make that promise and I'll deliver on it. And then a few chapters later in Genesis chapter 15, he expands it and says, not only will I make you the father of a nation, but I'll give you land. I, in fact, I promise you land. And we run that together and we call that the promised land. This is the first entrance of the promised land into this understanding and the expectations of how God's story with God's people will go. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, it says, you will get these promises delivered upon, but they'll be delayed. There it says, your, your descendants will be Genesis 15, around uh, verse uh, 18 or so, I think, uh, your descendants will be uh, slaves in bondage in a foreign land for 400 years, but I will not forget my promise and I will come and rescue them. And that's what we know to be the story of the Exodus led by Moses. And so Moses, with God's help and the plagues, he leads them out and they actually get right up, right up to the River Jordan and they're right on the other side of it, somewhere in the, uh, in the book of Numbers, Numbers 13, and it says that Moses had each of the 12 tribes to select uh, an inspector. Later on, they would be known as the spies, but they were the inspectors that were to go into this land that was promised, all 12 of them, and they did. They crossed the river and they go in there and they come back and they report to the whole people what they saw about this promised land that now, now hundreds of years, not 400, but 500 or 600 or 700 or 800 years or a thousand years, they had been waiting on receiving and they're right there on the brink of it. And 10 of the 12 inspectors declare, no way, no how, there are giants that live across the water. They actually say that. There are giants like this, like this, like this, like mythical tribe of giants that we've always talked about. They're over there. Two of them, on the other hand, though, say, no, if God says it's for us, then it's for us. Why would we not go? Joshua and Caleb are their names. But the majority rules. And because of that, the people of God spend 40 years with this detour through the Sinai Desert, and they're all wiped out or perish. Even Moses, the great prophet, the first great prophet of God's people, even Moses doesn't ever step foot into the promised land. He gets right up to the mountain's edge overlooking it, and he, and he goes and he is buried with his ancestors there in a private family burial that happens between he and God. And now it's left to Joshua, and they, 40 years later, have the chance to, to cross into the, into, the, in, into the promised land, crossing the Jordan River, and that happens in Joshua chapter 1. And so they're on the brink, they're on the brink of God delivering on his promises. But there's still work left to be done, and that's where the story, I would argue, of Christmas continues. We're well before the first morning of Christmas, but this is where it continues. I invite you to, to follow along with me. Uh, in fact, I, I promise to thoroughly confuse you on what this has to do with Christmas in the next five minutes. But, but turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. As we hear the plans of, of Joshua on how to scout out this promised land that they might then go in and conquer it and claim it as their own. Joshua chapter 2. The words are uh, projected on the screens. Open up your Bibles that you've brought. I'll uh, open up mine. Uh, this is one of the Bibles that we give away. It's the common English version of the Bible. 
And it says in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim. Now, these are different spies than those first 12. This is a, a, a second round of spies, and these, this works out differently. He said, go, look over the land, especially Jericho. They set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. Someone told the king of Jericho, men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house because they have come to spy on the entire land. The story hangs in the balance. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Then she said, of course the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry, chase after them. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof. The men from Jericho chased after them in the direction of the Jordan up to the fords. As soon as those chasing them went out, the gate was shut behind them. It says, before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. Now now listen to this paragraph. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We've also heard what you did to Sihon and and Og and the, the, the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. Now what she's just admitted is she's not just keeping up with current events around this warring nation that has now uh, gotten to the brink of, uh, of, of, of Jericho. She's been following along for over 40 years. We heard this and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now now in all the scriptures, you will be hard-pressed to find a more clear confession of faith in the power and sovereignty of the one true God than that verse right there. And it's offered by an Amorite woman who we're told her occupation is a, oh, you don't have to say it because the Bible's going to say it like nine times more, okay? This, This woman of ill repute who is an idol worshiper, like her parents before her and their parents before them and generations before them, who has no claim on the promises of God, who has no business being included in the story of God. She declares, I've been following along and I believe that your God is the God, not just of what we see, but even that which we can understand in the heavens. Now, I've been loyal to you, so pledge to me by the Lord that you, in turn, will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. The two men said to her, We swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. 
So she lowered the spies on a rope through the window. Her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she lived inside the wall. Then they said to them, Then she said to them, go toward the highlands so that those chasing you don't run into you. Hide there for three days until those chasing you return. Then you may go on your own. And then they work out a plan. And they make promises again. And they say, let's just be real clear on this arrangement. If you rat us out, then, then, uh, deals off. And, 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 and they come up with a, with, with a code. And so she takes, uh, they, they tell her to take a red, a red scarf and a, a red piece of cloth and hang it out your window. And that'll be our sign. But if you don't do that, then, then the deal's off. And, 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 and the blood of you and your family will be on someone else's hands. So it says in verse 21, these things will happen just like you said. She sent them away and they went off. Then she tied the red cord in the window. What's, what's, what's fascinating is that, is that when the terror of death comes to the city of Jericho, everyone is wiped out, except death passes over this one home that has this mark of red on the exterior of the house. Hold on. That sounds like another story. The spies went out and entered the highlands. They stayed there for three days until those chasing them came back. Those chasing them had searched all along the road, but never found them. What, what, what's clear from the scriptures is that, is that this woman of faith was able to find something that the rest of the city did not have. They lived in terror because of what they believed was their impending doom, and they were right. They lived in terror around it. And yet something, something about her character and something about the way she was reading the news had her acting differently. And she's indeed rewarded for it. It says in, in Joshua 6, you've got, those, uh, you've got those on the screens, Joshua 6. Joshua spoke to the two men, this is verse 22, who had scouted out the land. Go to the prostitute's house. Bring out the woman from there along with everyone related to her exactly as you pledged to her. So the young men who had been spies went and brought Rahab out along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and everyone related to her. They brought her whole clan out and let them stay outside Israel's camp. They burned the city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold along with the bronze and iron equipment into the treasury of the Lord's house. Let Rahab the prostitute live, her family and everyone related to her. So her family still lives among Israel today because she hid the spies from whom Joshua had sent to scout out Jericho. This is the word of God for we the people of God and we say together, Thanks be to God. This is, this is this small part in a larger story of how God's promises are kept. This is this, this is this, like, it's, it's, I think of it like, like I grew up. This is a tiny little Lego block in, in the, in the larger wall of God's, cause, cause I'm all about them, right? This is this, this is this little tiny linchpin in the larger story. It, she's not the most important character, and yet you wonder how would it go with the spies? Had Rahab not been there and acted with this, with this sense of, 
What was it that she acted with in the midst of the terror of the city? And yet her story and this, and this powerful thing she did that allowed for, uh, for the, the land to be occupied and Jericho to be knocked down because the spies come back and report, it's ours for the taking with confidence, which would, which would set up prophets and kings and a dynasty that would honor the Lord. All of this because of her work and her name isn't mentioned again for a thousand years until the brother of Jesus is writing a few chapters on on what faith looks like. And James says this, In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute shown to be righteous when she received the messengers as her guest and then sent them on by another road? The writer of Hebrews, writing a little later, says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute wasn't killed with the disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. There's a commentary around women of the scriptures written by a man named Lockyer. He writes this note. There was not only faith in her heart that God would be victorious, but also an assured peace in the midst of the terror. A whole city, she describes, is is stricken. They're they're literally frozen, she says. They, They can't move. They're frozen with terror, and yet, And yet she seems to be different. She, she by faith, has peace when the world cries out, woe is me, all is lost, we're doomed. So we do return to the question, what in the world, Scott, does this have to do with the Christmas tree? What, what does this have to do with December the 25th is coming? What does this have to do with the, with the list? What, is this, what does this have to do with Jesus even? I mean, it's, it's, it's cool and all that James and Hebrews remember her because she lived with faith, but, but why this? Why now? What does this have to do with Christmas? See, see, when we ask the question, where does Christmas start? Matthew is convinced, like the rest of us, that Christmas doesn't start on the morning. He tells the story of the morning. He, he, tells, the, he tells the story of the eve before it, where, where heavenly hosts are singing praises to God in heaven, and, and the shepherds are down there you know, keeping their flocks by night. He tells that story, but that's not how it starts for Matthew. It starts for Matthew with a genealogy that goes back and by name is rehearsing all of the promises that God has made and all of the people who have lived out the promises. And there in the middle of it all, what does it say, Matthew 1, verse 5? 
Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the mother whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Maybe one or two of you know that Jesse was the father of a guy that as a child was keeping his flocks out in the fields when they came to anoint the second king. Rahab. Rahab is in the lineage of the Messiah. Which is in itself unheard of. It was customary to, to, to offer genealogies before you describe a king. And we believe Jesus is the king of kings, but it was not customary. It was not done. It was not permissible to list women inside of the genealogy. Now, if, if they had ever allowed for a woman to be listed, which they wouldn't have, are we clear? It, but if they had, if, if, if it somehow some woman was accidentally inserted or there was a, a compelling reason to do it, uh, I, I can understand, but they would have never allowed a woman who's never mentioned by her name that she's not also included by her occupation to be included in a genealogy. And yet, there she is. Why Rahab? Because Matthew didn't have to. There are a few women that make his genealogy. Each one of them has a story to tell. But he didn't have to. He could have easily listed off the fathers and been done with it. Why, why would he tell the story that sets up Christmas and include Rahab the... Why would he do that? I, I, I think Matthew is convinced that the story of Christmas, that the message of this season, that the meaning behind it all was offered to us by Jesus later on in his own gospel. In, in, in Matthew 9.13, Jesus says, I didn't come to call righteous people, but sinners. Christmas starts with God's compelling desire that everyone, that every sinner would know of God's great love for us. That all the sinners would know. And the sinners are us. Because we're people who have labels attached to our names. We do it to others, and we're the worst about doing it to ourselves. I know my own secrets. I know my own failings. I know the things that I cannot get over. I know the things that I struggle with. And here Matthew is making it clear 
that the message of Christmas, the very origins of this story that changed the world, include sinners because all of it is about including us. Rahab is the unexpected choice to keep God's promise. And she experienced peace in the midst of terror. But she's included because it's God's desire that all of us would see in her our opportunity to be included too. Let's pray. Oh God, by your grace, it was revealed to, to Rahab of your power and your glory and your determination that your promises would be kept. By your mercy, this one whose past was not right was washed clean and made new and woven into the story of your redemption of the world. Lord, our desire is to be included. Our desire is to not be left out. Our longing is to have our past erased, washed away, forgiven, forgotten. Help us to find you at work in the unexpected. Help us to live with peace in the midst of terror. Help us to come to see that it is your It is your pattern to include the unexpected in the ways that you are at work. All of this change our hearts. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.